well, we are, um, that was our singing warm-up that we did already. Um, so we're looking at, at Jesus' uh, second coming um, as the, the, next, the next event uh, going on. Um, and uh, we're seeing how, um, well, let me, let me ask you, what are, what are some things we've looked at in the last uh, week, at the end of two weeks ago and last week? Um, when we say the next event is Jesus' second coming, and as we're looking at the New Testament, what comes to your mind, or what what have we been talking about, or what do you what does that make you think of? Jesus coming back. Jesus judgment. coming back. Sorry. Judgment. judgment. Uh huh. No signs. No signs. Yeah. Good. No rapture. Yeah. So. So we're saying the next event is not the rapture, but the second coming. Um, and so with that, you've got the um, bringing together of those those two events. It, you know, and the, so if you're uh, talking to uh, somebody in um, a dispensational framework of what's to come, they'll talk about two events to come, and the next event is the rapture, and the following, and then a, a, a second event after that would be the second coming. But as we look at scripture, what we see here is that um, you've got uh, the expectation of the apostles is that Jesus will come back in judgment and establish the new heavens and the new earth with no intermediary event. And this makes sense with what Jesus said. How, how so? Can you think of how that might make sense with what Jesus uh, said? Well, it said there'd be no signs. Said there'd be no signs. If there was a, a, a rapture, um, that would be a sign. Um, how, how did he tell us to, to go about in our lives? Um, we're to live our lives as if it was if he was coming back immediately. Yeah. Um, so he says, keep keep watch. You know, for my for my coming. Um, and so this is uh, something that, you know, he's got in his mind, his second coming as, as, as the main thing and that we won't have these, these signs. So, okay, well, good. Um, so looking at this uh, slide here now, uh, we've got, um, let's see, Anthony, can you read that first bullet for us? Okay. Um, so let's look at, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Let's all turn there. Let's have Alicia read this, verse 5.
Okay, thank you. So uh, what do we see here? Um, you, Paul, what's Paul's command to them at the very beginning of this? Yeah, so they were judging. And he said, judge nothing before the appointed time. And when when is the appointed time? What's he referring to there? Final judgment. Okay. Um, so let's go on down in the, in the verse. Um, what's he say next after that semicolon? Yeah, wait till the Lord comes. Um, so when the Lord comes... What's he just connected with that in the first half of the verse? Final judgment. Okay, so it's not a Lord comes and raptures us. Wait till the Lord comes, because then is final judgment. And so he doesn't give any hint that there's anything before final, you know, he comes again and, and final, final judgment. Uh, but rather, wait till the Lord comes and he'll judge at that time. Um, no little asterisk there, you know, but just, does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, and just uh, describing um, this a little bit, when the Lord comes, what will the Lord do? Next sentence. Yeah, he'll, he'll bring things to, bring things to light. Um, and so is that describing... Rapture or final judgment? Final judgment. Why? So it will work that out for me. Because everything that has been done in secret and out there will be exposed. And with rapture, there is no decision making of whether you're worthy or not. Yeah, that's right. The rapture as it's presented, now keep in mind we're saying the rapture is not a thing. Uh, that, that's a, a, a mislooking at verses of Scripture. Um, but, but when Jesus comes, um, we've learned here in this verse, judgment will come with that too. Okay? Um, and describing this, it'll bring to light, um, what's it say there? What is hidden in darkness? And it'll expose the motives of men's hearts. Okay, and so... That's that's final judgment stuff. As yeah, Bill. So that's kind of implying evil men's hearts. Right. Uh, you know, not yeah. just the Christian suffering loss for his bad motives, but it's also including in there those who aren't saved. Is right. What it sounds like, which make the rapture as it's usually presented is just a Christian thing. Right. It doesn't usually include non-Christians in any way, shape, or form. Right. This does. Yeah. Yeah. So great, great point there. So what we're saying, what Bill is saying there is, is that with, with the rapture, you don't have any sense of judgment with the rapture. You just have Jesus coming and taking believers away from the earth, but, but non-believers are, are, are left there because final judgment doesn't happen at the rapture as dispensationalists present it. But here what we have is Paul saying, don't judge right now, wait till the Lord comes. Um, again, you see that the uh, imminency of, of, you know, the second coming, you know, that the Lord could come at any time. Uh, and, and, and so wait till the Lord comes. When he comes, he'll, he'll judge then and he'll expose even motives. 
And that's what we see in all the, all the language of final judgment throughout Scripture. That God comes and he judges non-believers. He judges the motives of the heart, things that are hidden and things that are, are open, uh, both. Okay. So you see just, you know, in this, in this verse, now Paul's talking to people, you know, in the 50s. And he's just revealing to them, you know, what they should be expecting. Don't quit judging and just, just wait until the Lord comes. Because the Lord, Lord will judge and he'll judge better than you judge because he sees what's hidden and he sees motives. And so he'll, he'll expose those motives at that, at that time. Does that make sense? That verse, how, how that's looking, focusing the early church, first century church, not on a, not on a rapture, which they would have said, what are you talking about? Willis. <laughs> Who said Willis out there? Yeah. There. <laughs> um, that's from a 70s sitcom, Different Strokes. What you talking about, Willis? Was, you remember that? <laughs> Gary Coleman. Yeah, that was his repeated line to his older brother. Okay. Um, and so, and then the last sentence in here, what else happens when Jesus comes? That Paul's talking about here. What else happens? Last verse, or last sentence in that same verse, verse 5. At that time, each man will receive his praise from God. Okay, so you've got the exposure. This is total. The exposure even of motives of men's hearts, judgment from Jesus, and praise, the giving out of rewards to Christians. Um, uh, the, at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Okay? Um, so when the New Testament writers talk to their own people in the first century about the next great event. They're talking about final judgment. Jesus coming and coming in judgment. Not coming to snatch away believers without judgment, but coming with judgment um, and all things being settled at that point. Okay? Yeah, Matthew. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when you stick to kind of pre-revelation, uh, it all makes sense. And it seems like revelation, due to its kind of esoteric language, is what confuses things. Yeah. For instance, I'm reading a book, and it focuses, and it's a fictional book, but it mentions wormwood and landing in the waters and, you know, poisoning one-third of it or, you know, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And so some of the discussion is based on what could that be and based on the you know, the, the history in which the story was told, the, the European railroads or whatever. Yeah. But those references are to, the, the readers would have known exactly what they were talking about, mm -hmm. though, because they were actual historical events that occurred, and then yeah. they would say, oh, but he, he was using subterfuge so that, like, yeah. the Roman people wouldn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, people, when people look at the book of Revelation and consider it a chronological book going from chapter 1 to, to chapter 22 as you know, progressing chronologically, then they come up with all these crazy schemes that aren't elsewhere in Scripture. Yeah, and so what Matthew is saying, if you, you know, listen to the, the first sentence he said there, was you know, when you look at the rest of the New Testament, um, it just kind of makes sense what we're saying here. 
you know, they're just looking forward to judgment. Jesus says, okay, the temple will be destroyed in 70 AD, and then I'll come again, but you won't know the time. And so just, you know, be, be faithful. But when it's, it's mentioned he, that he's coming again, he's speaking of coming in judgment. Um, and, and be be doing what, you know, your father told you to do. Um, and, and so when you get to Revelation, if you don't understand how Old Testament prophecy works, and that those books aren't chronological either. Imagine reading Isaiah or Jeremiah or Micah or any of those books and assuming it was a chronological account. Um, then you would come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, but that's just not how Old Testament prophets work. Um, and, and same thing, you see vision, 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 vision. And some of the visions overlap this much, and some of the visions overlap this much, and some of the visions don't overlap at all. And, and, and so that's what the book of Revelation is. It's a New Testament prophecy book. Um, and it should be compared to you know Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Micah and those, those kind of books in, instead. Um, and, but we don't know how to do that. And so we've, you know, the modern day Christians, um, especially under a dispensational framework where you've said that the Old Testament uh, has no effect on the Christian. Except for these verses that predict certain things about Jesus. So we can decide who Jesus is. Right. Um, that's right. That's the good ones we get to keep. Yeah, but if you've said, which dispensational, dispensationalism does, we're in a new dispensation, and so Old Testament law and all that kind of thing, that's stuff of the past, and we don't need to look at that. Now, dispensationalists cheat, and they look at David and Daniel for examples of how to live, but they're cheating. <laughs> they are. They're going outside of their theology when they do that. Um but, but if you've said the Old Testament doesn't matter, then you're not reading the Old Testament. Then you come to Revelation and you're clueless as to how to read that, how to read that book. Um, and so that's where a lot of this, this stuff, um, comes, comes about. Okay. Um, so, uh, just to answer our questions here, Brenda, can you read this, this question? So from the, from this verse, what's our what's our answer? Big answer. You're taking a test. You got uh, two words to write down. Final judgment, second coming, whatever. That's what they're to wait for. Okay. When when Jesus comes again and all things are revealed and he gives out rewards, you know, and, and praise to men who have followed him and reveals the the evil motives of those people who haven't. Um, that that just wait for that. And then, um, yeah, so kind of the same thing. 5B, the second part of the verse here. Um, and Mallory, would you read that question for us? What will Jesus do at that time? When Jesus comes back, what will he do? Judge. Judge, yeah. So when Jesus comes back, Paul's not saying that he'll pull you Christians from the earth and everything else will go on and people will say, hey, where'd, where'd that 10% of the population go? You know, that's, that's, that's the rapture, but there's no sense in the rapture of, of judgment. You know, Jesus isn't saying he's doing that. People on earth are still going on. They're not, um, going before judgment.
But when Jesus comes again, as Paul says here, there's judgment. Okay. Uh, yeah. Some of almost like self-preservation in that um, that theory would be removing Christians from what they believe is the absolute most horrible time of earth. And, you know, basically saying that everybody left behind. You thought it was bad when we were here. Now it's really bad. Yeah. Um, because, again, with, I think, the dispensation um, view, they're considering that the things described in a revelation are not going on now, uh, which in varying degrees they are. Yeah. And so they feel they would be removed from all that suffering, either having to see it or be affected by it. Yeah. And they're removed from it. Yeah. So it's kind of a... I don't, know, not, I don't know the word of comfort or, you know, a bonus for being a Christian or mm -hmm. something like that, but they wouldn't have to be exposed to all that, yeah. which they are being exposed to. Right. Yes, exactly. And, so, and you would think that might make a difference in that you're thinking, wow, what pretty bad. Mm -hmm. well, it takes, say, people in other countries are physically suffering right. yeah. for being Christians and, yeah. you know, because of their faith and just because of the environment that they're in, that there's no food, they can't worship, and, yeah. and everything like that. Uh, the dispensational. They don't know if they're going to be alive the next day. Yeah. The dispensational scheme of things requires a prosperous nation to come up with that theology. Okay, yeah. It, 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 came, it comes out of, you know, dispensational eschatology is what we call it, it last things. That, that has to come out, just like prosperity gospel, it has to come out of an environment where they don't know suffering. Right? And, and we're, we're a nation that has all kinds of Christian terms in our constitutional documents. Right? We're a nation that came from Christian nations. You know, all, all, you know mostly, mostly Europe, all Christians of various stripes, um, you know, Reformed people, Congregationalists, um, Catholics in Maryland, um, Quakers in Pennsylvania—you know, all, all you know, just everyone coming from Christian background, and uh, things being prosperous, and so saying, "Huh, the Bible's here talking about we're really going to suffer before Jesus comes back." Well, we're not suffering. Ninety-five. Only the people who are drunken in the gutter are not going to church on Sunday, and there are actually laws—you know, blue laws—that you know, require people to, you know, not work on Sunday and to be in church on Sunday. And so this doesn't fit. So there must be some time in the future when there's going to be persecution. But if you're living in a country where you're persecuted for your faith in the 1800s and in the 1900s, you're not going to come up with a seven period tribulation because, you know, you're in the tribulation now. If you're living in 12th century um, Saudi Arabia, you know, or, or whatever it was called back then, Arabia, um, you you know <laughs> you know what it's you know what it's like to to suffer. And you read the Bible, and you see Jesus says to his disciples, "In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage; I've overcome the world." You say, "Oh, that's a comfort to me because I'm enduring tribulation right now." Um, but if you're in a prosperous nation, a nation that favors Christian religion, then 
that doesn't make as much sense to you. Yeah, so. I think to a lesser extent too, yeah, people in like that are suffering can grab hold of the imagery of, of Revelation and find hope in it by assigning signs to certain events. Mm -hmm. Because then if you see something, you could, there's a certain type of finality or certainty to the ending coming. You know, mm -hmm. there's a difference between knowing that it eventually comes and he could come back any day and the temple being rebuilt and then, oh, my suffering is going to end soon. It's a lot of fear response. Yeah. And book of book of Revelation, who's it written to? Okay, AD ninety five, what's going on? Persecution. Persecution by what uh, Roman Caesar? Yeah, uh, Domitian. Okay, and so they are suffering and dying because of their faith in Jesus. And so the book of Revelation is written to them to give them comfort, to let them know this tribulation you're experiencing is normal. Jesus is still on his throne. Everybody who's died in tribulation since Jesus' death is around Jesus' throne in heaven. They've made it safely because they, because Jesus' blood covered their sins and they kept their, their testimony. And so this was a great comfort to to people in tribulation in uh, during the time of, of um, Domitian's persecution, uh, and for for us as much as we're as much as we're persecuted. Okay. Good. Okay, so a uh, little last thing there, the last part of the verse: What will happen to evil men and to Christians at that time when Jesus comes back? Don't look at me. Look at your verses. One verse. What will happen to non-Christians and what will happen to Christians when Jesus comes, which Paul told them to wait until Jesus came. Christians in AD 55, wait until Jesus comes and these two things will happen. What two things? Their motives will be exposed. Okay, whose motives will be exposed? Yeah, evil men. And then what else? So that's one thing. So that's, you know, judgment of the wicked will happen when Jesus comes and that's what... Christians in AD 55 were supposed to wait for. Hold your horses till Jesus comes and he judges the, the wicked. And then what else? Good Christian men will get their freedom. Good Christian men will rejoice. Yeah, they'll get their commendation. They'll get their, yeah, they'll, they'll get their praise. They're well done, good and faithful servant. Um, and so, um, there we go. Uh, and last, uh, last question here. Andrew, can you read this? So what does Paul again attach to the next great event? Okay. So, yeah, final judgment. Okay. All right, Anna, can you read this this last bullet there? Okay. Now for an obnoxious showing that Jesus' second coming is the next great event for which Christians even in the first century were waiting potentially uh, hap happening in their day okay thank you um, next can you can you read this Blake this is a big long one can you see that well enough <laughs> mr. figgy pudding <laughs> 
That was an awesome answer last night. You knew that right away, didn't you? <laughs> Do you know what figgy pudding is? I've never had figgy pudding. No, me neither. Yeah. All right, you ready? Okay. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so this this is uh, Paul's uh, second letter, perhaps maybe maybe the maybe the third, but uh, uh, probably his probably his second letter, and he's writing it in AD fifty two, and uh, what what event is he talking about in this in these two verses? He says it right there at the beginning. Okay, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and so then next phrase, what happens when Jesus comes? Okay, we'll be gathered to him. Christians will be gathered to him. Um, so, you know, right, right now you can say, well, you know, maybe that coming is rapture. Okay, so right now we're even. We're 50-50, but we're going to keep reading in this verse. Uh-oh. Um. And so, uh, what has happened in Thessalonica among the Christians there in Thessalonica? Uh, what has happened to them? What what have they gotten, and how are they feeling? Gotten persecuted, and they're not feeling all that safe. Al almost. Did they stop working? Did okay, that, that working? they had, but that's not this verse. They, they got news that they had missed the. They had got, yes, they had gotten news. See that in the verse here? They got news. Someone said, Jesus came and you missed it. You got left behind. Yes. Um, I just did a, a search last night on IMDb. And what was that show? He's uh, uh, growing pains. All these people were in that show. I never watched that show because it was just really? that. Sh no, that show was on when I was studying and yeah. studying in campus ministry and had no TV. And uh, so I was looking. Yeah, like Kirk Cameron, his sister came on, did a little bit on it. He met his wife on the show. Um, who else was on? Leo DiCaprio was on that show. Um, what's that? Leo. Um, all kinds of people. There, there's some others. Oh, somebody else really famous who just came on like one episode. There are a bunch of people that were like one episode people who be Dennis Haysbert was on it. Um, uh, President Palmer from 24 oh, all state yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was on that show. Amazing. So anyway, back to Thessalonica. <laughs> um, yeah. So they had got, so he says, uh, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying what? The day of the Lord. Not the rapture. The day of the Lord. Last week we looked at how the day of the Lord, again, it's a judgment thing. 
uh, when God comes, you know, there are days of the Lord in the Old Testament, and it's always judgment. It's when God comes to visit. That's a day of the Lord. And we see days of the Lord in Scripture. And um, when, when God comes and he visits and he delivers reward to the faithful, and he opposes and sets himself up against the unfaithful. Okay, so the exile, the prophets speak of that as a coming day of the Lord. And when the exile happens, when they're deported, that's the day of the Lord. Um, the day of the Lord is not one single event. Like the Christ is not one single person, right? David's a Christ, you know, the, the Solomon is, the priests, the prophets, they're all anointed people, okay? And day of the Lord is a term used throughout the Old Testament. Again, we're, it, it, you know, if you're affected by dispensationalism, you don't know this because you're not reading your Old Testaments because you're told... They don't apply anymore. Now you'll cheat in you know in your in your church and, and look into the Old Testament, but theologically you don't look into the Old Testament for anything. And so you don't you don't realize this. But day of the Lord is when God comes, when he visits in judgment. Uh, the ten plagues are day of the Lord. Uh, that God coming uh, in the um, uh, the conquering of the land, day of the Lord, uh, and the exile, day of the Lord. Uh, but there is a day of the Lord coming for us, and that's when the final, ultimate day of the Lord will come, where Jesus returns and uh, he judges. Okay, so these people had heard some prophecy report or letter, supposed to have come from Paul and Silas and Timothy, um, purporting that the day of the Lord had already come. Um, that Jesus, so Jesus was a thief in the night, and he came, and they missed it. Um, okay, um, and so uh, when Jesus comes again, we see here that Christians are gathered to him, uh, but it's also the day of the Lord. Okay. Um, again, first first century stuff, AD fifty two. Um, so to answer answer these questions. Here, Lily, can you read this question for us? Okay, so remember, he's not talking. Paul's not talking to us. Who's Paul talking to? Yeah, the church in Thessalonica in AD 52. And what's in play for them? Okay, that, um, what might happen in their day that Jesus could come back? They were looking for this, and some people said, this already happened, and you're still here somehow. Okay? Yeah. So this is, again, this is in play. Jesus said just, you know, uh, the Son of Man doesn't know the, the hour. You know, it, 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 only the Father in heaven, and I'll come as a, a thief in the night. This will be like during the days of Noah. And so they were looking for the coming of the Lord, and someone had come to town and said, this already happened. I don't know if they said all the other churches are gone, or, or what, or, but, but this has already happened. But day of the Lord, but it's in play. The second coming is in play for them prior to 
uh, the day of the Lord is uh, in play for them prior to any kind of rapture. Um, next question here. Ashley, can you read this? In this verse, what are the two things he calls this event that they had been looking for that they thought somehow they had missed? Day of the Lord. Day of the Lord that's one of the things. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Again, just note here, no distinguishing of Paul uh, of, you know, well, there's when Jesus comes in judgment and the day of the Lord or rapture. This is all one thing. And they thought they had they thought they had missed it. Okay. You know another comment, and I think it's I don't know if it's peculiar to the English Bible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the headings that are attributed to these sections are <laughs> so we know how you feel about them. But yes, I just rolled my eyes, everybody. Here you can look again. <laughs> They're misleading, or or at least yeah, because they, you know, headings over passages about last things. Yeah are often misleading because those are, those aren't, you know, those are just put in by English Bible translators or editors over a, a, a translation just to give you some direction in it. So like when you look at, you know, Matthew 24, it says signs of Jesus coming or something like that above that. Unless you have a Bible where when I was preaching in Matthew in uh, uh, November of 99 or actually spring of spring of 2000 and I told people take your pencil there we used to put up pencils under the seats here and cross through that <laughs> so if you have a bible in your seat where that's crossed through on Matthew 24 that was done in about April of, of 2000 um, and you can write in there of the temple's destruction signs of the temple's destruction instead of signs of his coming but go ahead in particular to this one the heading is the man of lawlessness so if you come from like Modernity and you're steeped in dispensationalism, you'll think, oh, this is about the capital yeah. T Antichrist coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it misses, it kind of buries the lead in, in one and two, which is basically, you know, it hasn't happened yet. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's commenting on a historical yeah. Yeah. Uh, event. Yeah. You know? So it's, yeah, it, I, it, it becomes easy to see when you, you know, extract. You know the idea that this was written to a particular people at a particular time. How confusing this can get, but also how not confusing it is if you just use the proper circumstances when reading it. Yeah. So again, the importance for us of understanding who each book of the Bible is written to. Okay. God didn't write the whole Bible and give it to Adam and pass it down. And the reason is. Is because, you know, and God could, the whole Bible is this love God, love neighbor. Got it? And when God's people don't get it right in a particular area, He writes a book of Scripture by His Holy Spirit through a prophet or through an apostle. And so a new thing gets, new thing gets added, right? So we didn't have laws about how you could behave on the internet 50 years ago. Why is that? No internet. Unless Al Gore was around back then. Um, <laughs> remember that? He invented the internet. But, but, um, uh, but new things come up. And so when, when God's people need to know, it's right for you to leave Egypt 
and go into the promised land, God writes Genesis through Moses, which shows all these reasons. The book of Genesis shows all these reasons why they should be in Canaan. Okay? Because Abraham was given the land. Because Isaac was given that promise of the land. That's where they get Because their ancestors were born there in, in Canaan. Uh, because the people of Canaan were wicked. Uh, because when Joseph was in Egypt and everyone came down, Jacob made the, his son swear that they'd bury him in Canaan because that was their land. And then Joseph dies and says, make sure you bury me in Canaan uh, because that's where we belong. We don't belong here in Egypt. And so Genesis is written by Moses to people coming out of Egypt who kept saying in the wilderness, where did they want to go instead of where Moses was leading them? Back to Egypt. See, and but Genesis tells them, no, you don't want to go back to Egypt. Uh, that's the land of slavery. That's the land where you get taken up in Pharaoh's court like Abraham's wife, like Isaac's wife, right? And, and you're in danger in Egypt. Egypt is a place of danger. Um, so anyway, he writes Second uh, Thessalonians because they've gotten this report. And, and so you see that here. And you see that they were expecting um, the second coming of Jesus in their day. And they were worried that somehow that had happened. And they got missed and judgment of the earth hadn't happened. Um, let's let's do this. Uh, Christina, did you have a question? Yeah, I have something I was, well, I looked at my study Bible and it talked about perhaps Paul was being judged by the other Corinthians. Oh, back in Second Corinthians? Yeah. yeah, he was. And perhaps to me, I would think of, you shouldn't judge other people. Right. That's what I did. Yeah. And so back in the Second Corinthians passage, uh, big the background of Second Corinthians is the Corinthian church had gone after these super apostles and said, who's Paul? And, and so Paul is, is basically winning them back and saying, I love you folks. I've done all these things for you. And this is really hurtful. <laughs> but, but you know, that's what Second Corinthians is about, that they were, you know, judging, judging him and they were judging based on uh, being tall and good looking, which these super apostles, he calls them, were in that church. And he says, here's my resume. I'm not tall. I'm not good looking. But I've been whipped, I've been shipwrecked, I've been imprisoned, I've been persecuted. I have stripes on my back. That's my resume. That's why you should see me as your pastor. Not these prosperity gospel guys that are there that are tall and good looking right now, the super apostles. Um, and, and so don't judge by appearances. That's the background of that, that verse that we were looking at first. Yeah. But the second Thessalonians to this different crowd, their, their, uh, their thing was they had been told the second coming had happened. So this, this line here, um, Chase, can you read this last uh, line for us here with the blanks? Yeah, so what's, what's the day of the Lord? Again, you see that terminology in verse 2 there, the day of the Lord. That's what the Christians were looking for in A.D. 52. Next, yeah. It's the next great event. Yeah. Uh, both. It's next and last. Yeah. yeah. There's no intervening event between Jesus coming and judgment. 
he's coming in judgment. And so have him find you doing what he told you to do. Um, and, and look at all the parables of the kingdom where the, the king goes away to get crowned, right? And then he comes back and sees what's been going on on his property, the earth, since he went away to heaven. And he comes and he judges. And those who have been, fa those who have been faithful, he rewards. And those who have been wicked, he sends, uh, sends away to where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He when, when the king comes back, there's, there's judgment. When he comes back, there'll be judgment. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. It's concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, who's gone to heaven to receive a crown, to be made king, the ascension, and who's coming back. And this coming back, this verse, these two verses, we call the day of the Lord. So a lot, a lot of this is just getting used to if you've grown up in, in dispensational, uh, premillennial last times teaching is detaching these things from a false system. And, and, and so that kind of takes some time. Now, do you guys, anyone here remember the web of re multiple reciprocities? So here's where I need my whiteboard. Okay. So, um, when we believe something, uh, each belief that we have, it's, it's like if you put all our beliefs, imagine, imagine this is a whiteboard here. So if you have all uh, you know, beliefs, each belief you have is a dot. So if I had a, if I had a marker here, I'd be going all over here. That's every belief that you have. Okay. It's a dot. Now it, it's not the case that when one, uh, belief changes like no rapture. Okay, that you get proven that from scripture, but it's not that easy um, because this dot, all these dots are connected in different ways. Imagine strings between the dots in all kinds of chaotic ways all over here. So you got all this string between all the dots and they're not in a line like dots along a circle with one string. So that you, if you pull one out, then everything, you know, the string just, you know, falls away or whatever. But instead, so you've got, you know, this belief in, in rapture, if you grew up in that, connected to all these things. Um, it's connected to the pastor that you love who taught you that. And so to break that string from, rap, you know, rapture, I don't believe in rapture anymore. You need to decide what to do with your former pastor. Okay. And so you go through all kinds of things. Was he deceiving me? Uh, is he an idiot? If I say I disagree with him now, am I calling him an idiot? Am I being unfaithful to him? Am I a mean Christian? Is he a Christian? Because he's teaching something that's not true and in the Bible. But wait, my mom and dad, they believe in the rapture. And every time I meet, get together with them and this kind of, they talk about what's going on in the world. They say, I know the rapture's coming. So now here's another, you know, here's another, all these things were strings that I mentioned to you connected to that before that, that, that belief can drop off the page. Okay. Rapture as something I believe dropping off the page, not being any more along with my belief system. And so then you got to say, wait a minute, if I drop rapture and then I, I go home for Christmas and I'm talking with my parents and they start talking about rapture, what am I going to do? 
That's a hard choice, right? Do I, do I argue with my mom and dad? Do I just sit there silently? But then if I sit there silently, am I being unfaithful to God by not speaking up? These are all strings that are holding that belief in rapture in place. And so when a belief changes, this is just how our, our minds work. Uh, when, a, when a belief changes, we, we've got eight strings to every belief. And so we gotta cut, cut those strings. You know, we had, a, we had a, a man in here in the church who loved our church years and years ago, who was a Baptist pastor. He's a retired Baptist pastor, and he came to understand reformed things after he had retired. Um, he had a son who was a pastor in the PCA, and he was here, and uh, I remember, you know, he was convinced in the Bible that infant baptism was okay. And he sat in my office and he said, but John, I just can't do it. He saw he was about to become a member and he said, I just can't become a member because I feel like I'm signing on to something that's been a part of my life, all my life, that you should not baptize infants. But and it was strings, right? He, he had... He had taught this and, and you know, preached this and, and all his pastor friends, except for me and his son, were teaching this too. And so that belief just kind of stayed there, even though the string connected to the Bible had been broken. And, and, and if, you only had, if the only thing holding that dot of infant baptism was a string to the Bible, that belief, had fought, that belief would have been off his belief page okay but but our, our beliefs are connected up for good or for bad you know they're connected up and so just the reason I spend some time on this is just to know in, in your own minds um, when something changes in you know in, in the Bible you know like you study the Bible and you say wow I've always thought this but according to these seven verses and these passages and then it, that just doesn't fit and it doesn't work and now that I've been reading the Bible for a couple of years, the new thing that I've learned and become convinced of, that fits better. And I'm starting to see that all over the place. You know, like, like you know, if, if you were, weren't someone who always believed in election, um, once, you, once you gave up, once, once all your strings got broken on election, and maybe you had one string left, you know, on that, but you're pretty much convinced, and then you start reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, you start seeing election all over the place. You're seeing it in Genesis and all these words. Cho you know, cho oh, chosen people in the Old Testament. Now you're seeing that as an election term, affirming your belief of these election verses that you can see in the, in the New Testament that before you just kind of skipped over because they weren't comfortable for you. Okay, um, So... Just be aware of that in your own minds as you read the Bible, um, that uh, if it, you, you don't want to just read one verse and change what you believe. Um, but, but you do want to, um, once you become biblically convinced of something, um, go with it. And, and that's just, not just you and your Bible, but biblically convinced of it, talking with elders in the church, um, reading uh, people who are dead elders in the church as church history. <laughs> you know, uh, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Edwards, you know, di different people. Um, and they, they agree with your, you know, what to you is a new belief now. 
and you say, oh, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, um, go with it and, and, and just treat the people in your life with love and kindness. You don't have to call anyone an idiot because they don't believe that um, yet. Um, uh, and, and be loving to people as you interact with them and patient because it took you a long time to get to that, that passage or to that understanding as well. Any, qu any questions about that? So what we're saying in terms of these dots and strings, day of the Lord is final judgment. Coming of Jesus is final judgment. When he comes, he gathers his people to himself. He judges unbelievers. He hands out rewards and he ushers in the new heavens and new earth. That's all one big ball. And so when we read anything about Jesus coming, cut those, cut those strings about rapture. Okay. Um, and, and, and try to see that all as one, one big ball and read through the scriptures with this. The next time, the next event that God talks about in scripture is the second coming of Jesus where he makes all things right gathers believers to himself, uh, reads their name from the book of life, gives them their rewards, judges the ungodly, and brings in the new heavens and new earth. And you'll see it fits through, through Scripture as you're reading through Scripture. This all works. Uh, and these, these inconsistencies of, wait, there are no signs. Jesus could be coming at any time, but doesn't the rapture have to happen? You know, that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. Um, yeah, things will be clearer for you in Scripture. Yes, yeah, Steve. Uh, maybe you could address this and help me just lay this out of my own mind. Um, you know, systematic theology is a system of theology. Yeah. And so if you're talking to an Arminian, they will say, and I've heard them say this, yeah. that if you follow the system of Reformed theology to its mm -hmm. logical end, it unravels. Mm -hmm. Then I've heard... The reform say if you follow an Arminian's systematic theology to the logical end, yeah. you pursue that logical yeah. end, it unravels. And, <laughs> and, and you'll commit suicide. Because <laughs> yeah, it's all your fault. Right. The bottom line of Arminianism. Or, or if yeah. you're reformed and follow through, you tend up to lean into being a universalist by the time you die. Yeah. And so I just, if you would address that because. I'm not theologically profound enough to know what unravels and doesn't yeah. unravel. Mm -hmm. But have you heard that same kind of back and forth? You know, it's like, yeah. oh, if we follow you, it's this. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and what I do just as advice on how to, how to interact with this question with folks is to um, disown in your verbiage systematic theology for a second. And, and it'll be winsome. Here's, here's why. Systematic theology is where we say, what does the Bible say about this topic? 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 That's what we call systematic theology. So a system, and we see how all the topics then fit together, how they're linked together. That's the system. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, say this, you know, uh, systematic theology is the attempt to um, summarize what the scriptures teach. And so the question really is not whose systematics is better, although, you know, we may eventually get there. But what are the, what are the scriptures teaching? And, and I think the, the, um, 
what I what I see in Reform Thesmax fits the scriptures better than what I see in Arminian theology. And uh, because, you know, that people can say that, you know, this system or that system, but the system's not really what we're after. You know, we're, we're not going to see Jesus face to face, and he's, he's not going to say, what system were you in? What was your system of systematic theology? Uh, but the question is, how faithful were you to the scriptures? The scriptures are the important part. And, and so, you know, we get systematic theology, these topics from the scriptures, and so we summarize this. What does the Bible say about um, what happens when Jesus comes back? We put that, you know, into, into a category up here. But as we're reading the scriptures, they better reaffirm or correct. And if we see a correction and a topic, you know, in systematic theology from the scriptures, and it's a widespread correction from the scriptures, then we need to adjust our systematic theology, um, not the Bible, because the Bible's you know, it's really this, the system, the systems are down here. And what you're trying to do in systematic theology is make each of your, each of your topics accurate to what's, to what's in here. So my advice is just diffuse that a little bit by, by getting to the Bible. Um, and, and so, you know, just like in a simple way, Betsy and I, when we were first understanding election, we said, it's really hard to fit the election verses into man is any man can believe and is completely free and it is a absolute possibility that every human being on the earth can say yes to jesus and wind up in heaven it's hard to fit election verses into that but it's much easier to fit in the whosoever believes into election because you can say oh who believes those who are elect yeah um, and, and you can say, you know, that, that unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Of God. Oh, you have to be born again. Well, where does that come from? The father gives birth, you know, John 1, 12, you know, born, born not of the flesh, you know, but, or, or the will of man, but, but born from God. Um, and so that was our simple way we came to understand election. We just said, you know what? Election the, the, the verses about free will fit into this better than the other way around. And, and that wasn't because we had a, we were actually dispensational in our system at the time, but we just, we just saw how the scriptures were correcting our, our system there. Yeah. Does that help? It actually is helpful. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, always referring back to scripture is the safe way to go. Yeah. But, we also, our systems were created, each side would say, yeah. my system was created by Scripture. Yes. And so, and so it's, it helps people understand that their system wasn't created by Scripture, and neither was yours. That is, in this sense, um, this book is not a book of systematic theology. Right. And if you pick up a systematic theology textbook, it'll have a chapter on the personhood of Christ. The, the um, deity of Christ, the manhood of Christ, um, the Holy Spirit. They'll have all these chapters of individual topics, and that's not what this is. And so um, it's helpful to, you know, slice that, those two things for the person you're talking with, um, because we don't want to be, um, there's a lot of emotion attached to being Arminian or Reformed. 
And so once you use those topics, you're not going to get a convert. It's like, you know, you're never going to convince a Democrat to be Republican or you're never going to convince a Republican to be Democrat. Okay. Not by the greatest argument that's ever been. People just, there's too much emotion. Well, my parents were Democrats and, you know, or whatever. I mean, you know, and so if you get it down to the Bible, you know, as brothers, as sisters, you're all not you and me, but you know, you're, you're all, uh, you're committed. You're both committed to the Bible. And so then you've got common, common ground in the words of Jesse Jackson, a com a common ground. Um, uh, yeah. And, and so then you can talk because you're talking about the Bible and you say, so, so what do you do with these passages that say, you know, you're predestined before the fun, before the creation of the earth? Cause that's a big one for me. What does that mean? And, and for me, I have trouble. It seems like I'm stripping that of all content. If I say, God just picks those who picked him already. What do you do? I mean, that, that's like, for me, that's, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> really, it is. It's like, you know, and I'm, I'm still playing the role. Really, it is. Because they'll laugh, you know, or maybe they'll get mad. But but um, it, when you bring it back down to Scripture, that's helpful um, for them. Because that's how people will be converted to a more biblical understanding of various topics. By showing them the Bible, not by saying, you need to be reformed. Because they won't be reformed. I mean, you'll pull Arminianism from their cold, dead fingers. <laughs> right? Because that's the emotion, you know, in it. And so it's, it's just helpful to, to pull back and look at the scriptures. That's, that's, you know, just effective force in anything that we're dealing with. Uh, whether we're talking with a Jewish person or a Catholic person or a Muslim person. If we, if we, you know, talk to them on the level of scripture and say, here's, you know, I used to believe that. And here's why I don't anymore because of this passage here. What do you do with this passage? You know, and, and then, then you can talk instead of that person thinking, I am not going to agree with this person no matter what, because I'm never becoming reformed. Because they think reform means you're a robot. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and, and that you uh, have given us your word. And um, we uh, um, ask that you now help us to worship you well and to focus upon you well um, and uh, uh, that you would be pleased with that and uh, pray that in Christ's name. Amen.